I'd like to introduce our speaker this morning, I should say preacher, as we're in the context of worship here this morning. Most of you met Mr. Mendes on Friday as he brought a challenging uh, word to us from his context. Mr. Mendes is a Nepalese citizen. His uh, mother went to Nepal as a Canadian missionary married a man from India, and they migrated to Nepal, where he has lived his entire life. He was put in jail, as he shared with us on Friday, for preaching Christianity, including the truths of Jesus. Spent seven months in jail. His wife also was in jail while she was pregnant with their son, who subsequently was named Daniel for that reason. And so they lived a life of much involvement in Nepal, in church life, as they still do, and in the lives of the Christian community, which was a minority and which was outlawed at that time from any type of evangelism. And he had a transformation in his life when he began to see, at least in his own thinking, a a new window opened up, which he shared with us on Friday, that he began to realize that he had been preaching Christianity and specifically a westernized version of Christianity in a context which brought more burdens to bear than simply following Christ. And so he and his wife and a team of people there who they're partners with in Christ have decided to lift up only Jesus Christ and By that, he doesn't mean only the word Jesus, but the Jesus of the Gospels, the Jesus of the New Testament, the Jesus that is prophesied in the Old Testament, the Jesus of the written word of God. But to try to be more specifically focused on the person of Jesus and to meet people in their own context right where they are to introduce them to Jesus. So when meeting a Muslim, their goal is simply to introduce that Muslim person to Jesus. God has opened up for them a work which has moved them to the capital of India, to New Delhi. And quietly and behind the scenes, Charles works with members of the Indian parliament, with people in the leadership of the nation of Bangladesh, Nepal, Bhutan, and Sri Lanka, and India. And quietly, just one-on-one, without any fanfare, without any press or publicity, he's, along with others befriended many people in leadership there. And their hope is to meet those leaders where they are. As Andrew did when he brought Peter to Jesus, they want to bring these people to Jesus. And then their big prayer and hope is a leadership led led by God on behalf of the poor around the world. It's been a privilege for me to spend this weekend with Charles. Uh, He's been in my home and We've had many, many hours of wonderful conversation and prayer and sharing about the scriptures and about life. And I think he brings us a fresh perspective. As I mentioned on Friday, he may bring a perspective that challenges you. you may, he may bring a perspective that you disagree with. But he brings a perspective that will, I hope, and my prayer is that it will cause us each to reexamine our life thoughtfully and to reexamine our commitments and to redouble them and recenter them if they need be on the person of Jesus Christ. Let's welcome Mr. Charles Mendes.
Thank you, Bart. Good morning. It's really been a, a privilege for me to be with you these last few days, to meet with many of you individually on Friday and also yesterday. Through Bart, we had heard a lot about your great college, but we'd never really been able to, to picture it until we came here. And in many ways, as I said on Friday, the church in America has been blessed. But if we go a little closer down, each one of you is, is blessed to be here, to have the faculty you have, to have the environment you have, to really learn and to grow in your own personal walk. The theme that I'd like to share on today, and it's basically more or less a testimony, is centered around John 12, 32, where we're reminded where the Lord said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. The very essence of our life is to live a life centered around the person of Jesus Christ. The very essence is to lift up Jesus so that others may see him as the one true living God. How do we go about doing it? By being more religious than somebody else? By being more judgmental than somebody else? Well, the Lord pointed out one way of doing it. He said there's two commandments that you have to pattern your life by. They're taken from Matthew chapter 22. And they talk about putting God first. The first commandment all of you know, is love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. But the problem that most of us had and the problem that I used to have, the first one was very easy to accept. There's no question, God is God and I will love him with all my heart. But love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? The one who sits beside me on the pew Sunday morning in church? Or the Hindu bowing down to an idol that can do nothing but take him to hell? Who is my neighbor? And the more I began to study the word, the more I began to grow in my relationship with Jesus and in my desire to lift Jesus up and to exalt Jesus in all situations, I realized that my neighbor was whoever God brought in my path. Whether he was a Hindu, whether he was a Muslim, whether he was a Buddhist, or for that matter, whether he was a Christian. God was no respecter of person. The, the outward exterior of religion that the person carried was not something to turn him away from being my neighbor. It was very hard for me to be able to see that. Because as far as I was concerned, my neighbor was only those that I could get along with. My neighbor was not really those that I could, could just look at and say, well, I don't agree with him, but I still have to love him as my neighbor. And I read a, a poem once which said, how good it is to be an instrument of grace that he can use at any time in any place 
however he may choose. If it meant to be the one who befriended the Hindu for the sole purpose of bringing him to Jesus, I had to be willing to do that. I was meeting with the Minister of Human Resources in Delhi once, and I said, look, I'm not here to make you a Christian, but I am here to present Jesus Christ to you. And I believe that as I lift Jesus Christ up with you, he will begin to work in your life. And then whatever you do is between you and him. It's not for me to say. He said, well, how do I go about doing that? I said, well, we have to make an agreement that there's two things that we have that are very, very fundamental to our relationship. And that is to take the commandment that Jesus gave us and start living by them. He said, you mean the Ten Commandments? I said, no. I mean the First and Second Commandment, which he gave. He said, well, what, what are they? I, I know the Ten Commandments, but I don't know these, these ones that you're talking about. I said, well, number one, you have to commit to love God with all your heart, your soul, your might. He said, that I can commit. And number two, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. He paused for a minute, and then he looked me square in the eye. And he said, you are asking me, someone who has really not yet got a very strong relationship in Jesus, to love my neighbor when you Christians don't even love your brothers. It wasn't easy to sit there and listen to those words. And the reason it wasn't easy because what he said was true. If somebody comes to town and is preaching in the Assemblies of God Church and has a very strong message to give, those of us who go to the Baptist Church or the Episcopal Church or the Methodist Church don't find it necessary to go hear what God is saying through the anointed man of God that particular day. And sometimes we even have bitterness against the leader of that particular church. But yet we're commanded to lift Jesus up. The sole purpose of our life is to lift Jesus up and to follow what he taught us, to love our neighbor. The first commandment is so simple because we really are not drawn into having to prove that in our life. The second is much more difficult because those round about us begin to see whether we're actually doing it or not. Today, that man has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Fortunately, he was not hung up or not held back by what he saw in the so-called Christian world around him. And he was able to go beyond that and say that I should not base my faith in what I see, but I should base my faith in Jesus Christ. The main purpose of lifting Jesus up is that others can come to the salvation of having him as our Savior. Those born in Nepal were born into Hindu families. 
It's our duty to take Jesus to them where they are. Not to expect them to come to us and to come to a certain level where they can then begin to follow Jesus. Those born in Bangladesh were born in Muslim families. There again, it's our duty to take Jesus to them where they are. We have to be able to identify with them without compromising or bowing a knee to anything other than Jesus Christ. In essence, we need to learn to master the art of being all things to all men for one purpose and only one purpose, that Jesus Christ be glorified. As we look around the world today, living in New Delhi, working in Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, a thought that's always brought home to me is that I'm surrounded by people everywhere. The population density of that little part of the world is more than any other place. India has a population of 950 million. Bangladesh, 120 million. Pakistan, 121 million. Nine countries in that little region put together is 1,250,000,000. Almost one-third of the world's population. Little less. People everywhere. And people that for the most part are really hungering and seeking after the knowledge and the truth of something more real. They need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. They need to hear it where they are. They need people like you to go and take it to them. Not to go in there and be insensitive to their culture or their people, but by being sensitive, by being loving, by truly showing that you do love your neighbor as yourself, through your life, lifting up Jesus Christ. They have a right to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Not only those who are born in the affluent West have that privilege and right. The right also is for the little man on the hilltop in Nepal, or for that matter, the little fisherman on the shores of Bangladesh. The interesting thing as we study the word is not how good we are in presenting Jesus, but how sincere we are in presenting Jesus. We may really not even know how to dress well or talk well. We may even stutter. But the point that makes it with them is when they see that we truly love them for who they are. And I know in my own life, it was not easy to truly love my neighbor for who he was. I was constantly judging him because of the way I had been brought up. I was judging him according to a judging stick that I had established in my own mind. That because he's a Hindu, I can't have a relationship with him. I can't identify with him. And until he throws it all out and comes and says, I'm now a Christian, he was not my neighbor. But that's not what the Bible says. I have to go to him or her where they are. And I truly have to be able to lift up Jesus to them in the environment where they are. We had a, an interesting thing happen recently. People said, well, it doesn't work that way. A few years ago, we had a small meeting in Tokyo where we had invited members of the Indian parliament, members of the Bangladesh parliament, 
members of the Pakistani parliament, Nepalese parliament, to come together in Tokyo to spend time with the members of the Japanese diet. The invitation was sent out in the name of the person of Jesus Christ. They were not invited to a Christian event, but they were invited to an event that was centered around Jesus to help them to grow in their relationship and their love for the person of Jesus Christ. Being responsible for those from, from the Indian subcontinent, I tried to get everybody to meet together in Singapore before flying to Tokyo so they would get to know each other better. The Indian members of parliament were not able to make it, and so they had to fly directly to Tokyo. The rest of us met, we got together, spent time together, and the two people from Bangladesh, one was a cabinet rank minister, and the other was the chief justice of Bangladesh, two of probably the highest political figures in their country. They were Muslims by background, but Muslims that had come to know Jesus as their savior. We arrived in Tokyo airport, the Bangladesh ambassador due to protocol was there to meet his two respected leaders. Japanese security was there. They took them straight off the plane into a VIP room. Their immigration was cleared, their customs was cleared, and the ambassador said, Mr. Minister, shall we now proceed to Tokyo? And the minister turned to the ambassador and said, Sir, I appreciate you coming out here and extending to me the protocol due my position. But as the telexes from the foreign ministry and from my own ministry had pointed out, this trip was a personal trip. I'm here to be with my friends and brothers. And therefore, now that you've done your part of, of your job, you're free to go back and I'll wait for some friends who are coming from New Delhi and we'll travel together on the local bus. Well, from Narita Airport to Tokyo, number one, it's about a 90-minute drive. And here we have a Muslim from Bangladesh who's a cabinet officer saying he's going to wait for an Indian who's a Hindu who's only a member of parliament. Number one, India and Bangladesh don't get on with each other. Bangladesh accuses India of opening the floodgates and drowning thousands every year. The love lost doesn't there's, there's no love lost between the two countries. Hindus and Muslims are killing each other every day in India and Bangladesh. And according to protocol, which our part of the world is very, very conscious of, a member of parliament, with all due respect, is still smaller than a cabinet rank minister, and the minister doesn't wait for a member of parliament. In the natural, there's no way that this man could say, take protocol, take the Mercedes, take everything away. I want to stand here and wait outside the arrival hall like any common citizen because I have a brother who's coming from India. But in Jesus Christ, that becomes possible. And as we got on the shuttle bus to go from Terminal 1 to I'll never, I'll never forget the expression on the ambassador's face was total bewilderment where he sees his minister, his chief justice, get on a bus pushed around by everybody else because he's going over to another terminal to wait for a plane to come in that is running late by at least an hour and a half.
And then when the door finally opens and this Indian brother walks out, he had never seen him. And he walks out wearing a, a white suit. He wasn't even wearing a white safari suit. He wasn't even wearing an Indian dhoti or kurta. But all of a sudden, he recognized him. He goes up, puts his arms around him, and he says, Brother, I'm so happy you're here. If that's not Jesus Christ, I don't know what is. To be able to cut through political hierarchy, religious hierarchy, and even national prejudice. The two of them were brothers because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They came from different areas. They came from different religions. They came from different pecking orders in protocol. But in Jesus Christ, there was no East or West. There was no Bangladeshi or Indian. There was no Hindu or Muslim. There was two souls that needed to be saved. There was two lives that needed to be touched. And there was two individuals that came together. As you go through the year here at Westmont, think about who is your neighbor. Think about are you faithful to lifting Jesus up? In closing, I came across a prayer one day that I really like. It's taken out of the Oxford Book of Prayers. And it reads, Dear Lord, I know that if I do not love you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my, with all my soul, and with all my strength, I shall love something else with all my heart, with all my mind, and soul and strength. Grant that by loving you first, I may be liberated from all the lesser loves and loyalties and have you as my first love, my chief good, and my final joy. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the mighty work that you're doing around the world. We thank you for the people that are coming to faith in Christ from many diverse backgrounds. We think of how your son and his early followers moved across cultural lines that people thought were impossible to move across how they went to Samaria following your son's example, how they went to Cyprus, Turkey, Greece, Rome, met peoples who had strange religions in their eyes, and how they met them where they were, but also introduced them to the simplicity and the joy and the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ. Father, may there be a renewal around the globe. May we be a part of it. Were we with all our minds thankful for the education that we receive here and with all our hearts full of passion for the higher good, for the greatest good, may we be a part of your work. May we not be squandered in prejudice. May our strengths not be hidden in cultural difference. 
May our vision not be narrowed to only the way it's been done in the past. But may we, with creativity and intelligence, serve Christ here at Westmont as professors, as staff members, as students, here in Santa Barbara as citizens and community members, here in the state of California, here in the United States of America, here in North America and around the globe. May we open our minds to love you with creativity and imagination. And then may we walk in your ways. May we not only think deeply, may we not only feel passionately about Jesus, but by your grace, may we walk in his footsteps. In his name and for his glory, we pray these things. Amen.